Good morning and welcome to Bachelor Creek. For all of you who are joining us in person and for those of you who are watching online, uh, we are so glad that you are worshiping with us today. I especially want to thank those of you who are joining us for the very first time. If you're a, a first-time guest here today, welcome. Uh, we are so thankful that, that you are here, that you decided to, to come and worship with us today. What we would ask you to do is to simply fill out the connection card in the seat back in front of you. And on your way out today, if you would uh, go to the Welcome Center, turn in that connection card, we've got a gift for you. That's our way of saying thank you for worshiping with us, and we are so glad that you are here. If you have your Bibles, open them to Luke 19. We're going to be in Luke 19, and we're going to be in Acts 17 uh, today. And uh, as you're turning there, if, uh, if you don't have a Bible, I want to let you know that uh, we always, at the back of the worship center, we have two uh, kind of shelves back there with, with Bibles. And uh, you, if you don't have a Bible, you can go and you can grab one. Uh, you can grab one on your way out today. And that is our gift to you. And we want to encourage all of you, uh, when you come each week, to bring your Bibles with you to open up so as we study God's Word, we do so together. Uh, last week, we handed out four car magnets and uh, four devotionals uh, at the end of our service. If you weren't with us last week, uh, those uh, devotionals and those car magnets are going to be available at the connecting point out in the lobby. Uh, grab one of those. And um, some of you uh, might have discovered when you went to put your car magnet on the back of your car, the back of your car is not magnetic. Um, I don't know the rhyme or reason behind all of that. Uh, the back of my wife's car is magnetic, but mine isn't. So if the back isn't, get creative. I found a place on kind of the back uh, driver's side, uh, kind of back left rear that it, that it fits. So find a place, get creative. Uh, the, the point of it is uh, to let our community know that we are for them. As we get started today, I want you to think about some of the most recognizable logos, some of the most recognizable symbols in our world today. Do you know some symbols are so transcendent that when you see it, you instantly know what they mean, what they represent, what they are, without any words at all. And so uh, we're going to do a little exercise here. This is going to be the, the audience participation part of today's message, so thank you for being here. Uh, I'm going to throw up a, a logo on the screen, and I want you to see if you know what it is um, before, before the words come up. And if you're watching online, if you know, just go ahead and put in the comments uh, what that logo, what that company represents. So let's go ahead and show the first one. What's that? Amazon, right? Uh, that is Amazon. As you can see in their logo, it shows from A to Z. That's telling us that at Amazon, you can get just about anything, right? Here's the next one. Chick-fil-A. You didn't think there was any way after last week that I wasn't going to work Chick-fil-A into this message somehow. Uh, you guys indulged me as I got on my soapbox a little bit. But Chick-fil-A, absolutely, it's a, it's a recognizable logo. What's the next one? Spotify. For all of our Music streaming lovers, you know that that is, of course, Spotify. Uh, here's the next one. Starbucks, of course. For all of our caffeine lovers, got to have our Starbucks. Here's the next one. Target, pretty recognizable logo. Here's another one. Walmart, of course, that's, that's Walmart. Uh, we got one more for you. See if you know this one. Coca-Cola, that's right, Coca-Cola. Uh, did you know 
that the Coca-Cola logo has been referred to as the second most recognizable symbol in the world. Now, part of the reason is because Coca-Cola's goal is to have a Coke in arm's reach of anyone on the planet. In some ways, that's a crazy goal. And yet, Coke continues to make great strides towards that goal. Now, why is that? Well, part of the reason is Coke is very passionate about what they do. They really believe in sugar water, apparently. (laughs) And as a result, they have made huge strides over years, and they have been called the second most recognizable symbol in the world. Now, you'll notice I said the second most recognizable symbol. Do you have any idea what the first is? Any guesses? If you'll look behind me right above the baptistry, you will see what I'm talking about. It's the cross. The cross. And like Coca-Cola, we still have a lot of work to do, explaining the meaning and the beauty of the cross. Not just around the world, but in our community. In fact, if you were to draw a 15-mile radius, a a 20-mile radius around our church, you would have lots and lots of people who don't know what the cross means and who don't know what Jesus did for them on the cross. Coca-Cola would never say that they've reached enough people. Coca-Cola would say there are more people to reach. Never let it be said that Coca-Cola is more passionate about sugar water than we are about Jesus. What Coca-Cola would focus on isn't their success, but their potential. And that's what we want to focus on as well. God hasn't blessed us with success. God has blessed us with potential. And our potential is the number of people in our community who don't know Jesus. People who don't know the length that Jesus went to to bring them his amazing grace. Today I want to talk about how we continue to take steps towards this potential to reach more and more people for Christ. Last week we began our four series by asking the question, what do we want to be known for? And our bottom line from last week was this. Many people are more familiar with what the church is against. We want to be known for what we're for. We are for Wabash. We are for people. We are for schools. We are for businesses. We want this community to thrive because we are a part of this community. And the reason we are for this community is because God is for this community. To continue this series, I want to specifically talk about one way we're going to do this. The reason so many people don't know Jesus The reason why so many people don't attend church is because they've said no. They've said no to Jesus. They've said no to the church. They've said no to what we believe. Today, I want to talk about what kind of mindset I want us to have in order to respond to people who've said no. Our response will show our community that we are for them, and more importantly, that their Heavenly Father is too. Jesus gave us a very significant clue about what we're supposed to do based upon what he said he had come to do. And so with your Bibles turned to Luke chapter 19, I want us to look at a very familiar story, a familiar story to some of us. If it's not familiar to you, 
If you're hearing this for the first time, I would, I would venture to say that it will quickly become one of your favorites. Luke 19, beginning in verse 1, says, Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. He is passing through Jericho. He's on his way to Jerusalem. And Jerusalem is Jesus' final destination. It is the city where he will be arrested, crucified, buried, raised again on the third day, and ascend to the Father in heaven. Jericho is his last stop. It's a city just a few miles outside of Jerusalem. We're told in verse 2, a man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was wealthy. Now, those details are very significant, and they tell us some very important things about Zacchaeus. This verse lets us know that Zacchaeus is a despised man, that he's viewed as a traitor. Zacchaeus, as a Jew, is working for the Romans. Rome ruled Israel, and so Israel is is subject to Roman rule. So you have a, a Jew working for the Romans to extort, steal, and cheat his own people. And we're told he's not only a tax collector, a telones, but he is a chief tax collector, an arctelones. The, the Romans would instruct their tax collectors to go and, and take a, a certain percentage from their citizens in taxes. But the tax collectors were given permission that they could take above the required amount, and anything that they collected above the required amount, they got to keep for themselves. Verse 3. He wanted to see who Jesus was, but because he was short, he could not see over the crowd. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree to see him, since Jesus was coming that way. So at this point, approximately three years into Jesus' public ministry, word of Jesus' life-changing, revolutionary, countercultural teaching and his powerful miracles spread throughout the area. Everywhere Jesus went, Crowds followed. People gathered. He has a sort of celebrity status in his ministry now. And so naturally, Zacchaeus wants to see this Jesus for himself. But being vertically challenged, he has got to get a little creative. So he climbs up into a tree for a better vantage point. Verse 5, when Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. So he came down at once and welcomed him gladly. This verse speaks to the very heart of Jesus. He's heading to Jerusalem. He's focused on Jerusalem, but he stops in the midst of it. He knows what Jerusalem holds for him, but he stops. He looks and he sees a man. He sees a man who is searching. He sees a man who is lost. And Jesus feels compelled to reach him. He says, I must stay at your house. I am compelled. It is necessary for me. The guy that nobody wanted anything to do with, the guy that was despised, Jesus sees him. He acknowledges him. He gives his life worth. He gives his life value. And he says, Zacchaeus, I'm for you. Verse 7, all the people saw this and began to mutter, He has gone to be the guest of a sinner. But Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, Look, Lord, here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor. And if I have cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. Jesus changed Zacchaeus' life. 
You say, how, how do we know that? Look at how instantly Zacchaeus went from greedy to generous. He went from self-centered to other-centered. He went from how can I consume everything for my own personal gain to how can I give away and help people in need. And so Jesus says in verse 9, today salvation has come to this house because this man too is a son of Abraham. Jesus pronounces Zacchaeus a recipient of salvation. He calls him a son of Abraham, saying that he is a part of God's covenant family. And so the story concludes in verse 10 with Jesus' mission statement. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. Jesus made it clear. He has come to seek and save those who are far from God. A few weeks ago, I was uh, talking with a young man uh, in between services here at church, and uh, he shared how a friend of his had invited him uh, to church uh, at a moment in his life where he just desperately needed it. This young man was seeking, he he was searching for meaning, for for purpose in his life. He had had some setbacks, he had had some challenges, he had been in some valleys in his life, and And he knew that with everything that he was experiencing, that there had to be something more to this life than just what we can perceive with our five senses. And so last summer, he he started coming to to church here every week. And as he sat under the teaching and the preaching of God's word, he began to understand more and more who Jesus is. And he began to understand more and more what Jesus has done. That young man's name is, is Zach and The friend who invited him to church is Jasper, and I am so thrilled to share with you today that that Zach is going to be baptized by his friend Jasper at the end of this service. And I think that deserves a a clap of celebration. I think that deserves some praise. Because you know what that says? That says that Jesus continues to seek and save the lost. So, so let's define the lost. Lost people are, are not those who have, who have only said no to Jesus, the church, and what we believe. They are often people who feel like the church has said no to them. And here's how we're going to change that as a part of our four movement. Our church is here to say yes to those who've said no. We're here to say yes to those who've said no. That means we say yes to people who've said no to what we believe. That means we say yes to people who have said no to church. That means that we say yes to people who have said no to Jesus. And that means we say yes to people who just don't know. And this will require us to push back against insider thinking. Insider thinking, of course, is concerned with insiders only. And the church insider thinking is this. Us four no more shut the door. Insider thinking is country club mentality. You know Coca-Cola fights against this? Coca-Cola has never allowed insider thinking from stopping them from trying to put a Coke within arm's reach of anyone on the planet. Insider thinking for Coke would be something like this. We already have a ton of people drinking Coke. We're good. They would never do that. They've never thought like that. And yet, how often does the church do that? Again, never let it be said that Coke is more passionate about sugar water than we are about reaching people for Jesus. 
This will require us, again, to push back against insider thinking. We talked about mission drift last week. In any organization, there is a tendency toward insider thinking. I can explain it this way. In, in church, in the church world, we rarely, I would venture to say, we almost never get calls from outsiders saying, you know, if you would just do this, we might start coming to your church. Instead, what happens is we get emails, we get phone calls, we get anonymous letters. Aren't those fun? Can you hear the sarcasm in my voice? Uh, we, we get these emails and, and letters and phone calls from people saying, you know, if, if, you don't, if you don't do this, if you don't play this style of music, if you don't launch this program, if you don't continue to do what we've always done, if you don't change and do something new, then, then we might start to, we might go to a different church. We might leave. And if, if we're not careful we can start crafting our church around people who are already going to spend eternity in heaven. And I've had a lot of conversations with, with people, and, and, and what, I, what I tell people is, you know, the best kind of church to attend is not one that caters to you, but it's one that invites you into the mission of God. It's a church that invites you to be a part of the mission of focusing on people who are far from God. This is the mission of Jesus, seeking and saving the lost. Today, I want to ask you to serve in our church. I want to ask you to give to and through our church. I want to ask you to get involved in our church. And here's why. You will never know what the church can do for you until you experience what the church can do through you. And I want to get very practical about how we're trying to do this. I'll be the first to tell you we're not experts. We're learning in all of this, okay? And there's a lot I, I could say, but, but I want to boil it down to two ways today. And these two ways aren't something that I came up with. Instead, we're simply following the model of the Apostle Paul when he went to the great city of Athens. Now, last week, I shared a little bit of Paul's backstory. And, and if you weren't here last week, I would encourage you to go back and listen to last week's message. Go online and listen to that because you'll understand a little bit of Paul's story but you'll also understand where we're going with this four movement a little better. But Paul was a missionary and a church planner. And the book of Acts records three of Paul's missionary journeys. And on this second missionary journey, he goes to the city of Athens. And Athens was a historic city of great importance. It was known as the intellectual capital of the ancient Greco-Roman world. Athens was famous for its philosophy of its exchanging of ideas, of debate, of oratory, of rhetoric. It was a city famous for its sculptures and its architecture. It was the great city of Plato and Socrates and Aristotle. And so in Acts 17, beginning in verse 16, we read this. While Paul was waiting for them in Athens, this great city, he was greatly distressed to see that the city was full of idols. So he reasoned in the synagogue with both Jews and God-fearing Greeks, as well as in the marketplace day by day with those who happened to be there. A group of Epicurean and Stoic philosophers began to debate with him. Now, these two, uh, these two schools, Epicureans and, and Stoics, were uh, schools of philosophy, kind of two different camps that the people in, in ancient Greece kind of put themselves in. The Epicureans were a, a smaller group that consisted mainly of of upper-class elites. And they emphasized pleasure. 
They emphasized freedom from from pain and, and suffering and fear. They were a group of people who denied that the gods were involved in life. They believed that the world was kind of this random happenstance, that everything happened by chance. The Stoics, on the other hand, were a much more popular group. They were kind of the majority opinion. They were polytheistic. They believed in many gods. The Stoics emphasized reason and self-sufficiency and duty. They believed that everything that happened was determined by fate. So these two uh, groups, these two schools of philosophy are talking back and forth, and, and some of them ask, what is this babbler trying to say? Others remarked, he seems to be advocating foreign gods. They said this because Paul was preaching the good news about Jesus in the resurrection. Verse 19, then they took him and brought him to a meeting of the Areopagus. Now, the Areopagus was a, uh, an aristocratic judicial council. It, it, w- it was a group that, that ruled in matters of religion and morality. So this council, this group has gathered together, and they say to him, may we know what this new teaching is that you are presenting. Verse 20, you are bringing some strange ideas to our ears, and we would like to know what they mean. All the Athenians and the foreigners who lived there spent time doing nothing but talking about and listening about the latest ideas. Now, here's where I really want to focus in verse 22. Paul then stood up in the meeting of the Areopagus and said, People of Athens, I see that in every way you are very religious. For as I walked around and looked carefully at your objects of worship. This is incredible to me. The first thing that Paul did when he got there is he went into the community. He saw, he walked around, he observed, and he listened. And this example leads us to what I believe is a very helpful and a very healthy practice for us as Christians. The first way we say yes is by listening more. We say yes by listening more. Cheryl Bockelder is the former CEO of Popeye's Chicken. And I know that's the, the second week in a row that I've, I've made reference to a, to a famous fast food chicken establishment. I don't know what the correlation is. I do love a good fried chicken. Um, but she was the former CEO of Popeye's. And when she took over the company, the company was a mess. Things were falling apart. And she came in, and a very short period of time, she turned the place around. She got the place to, to, a, to a company of great success. And so uh, one time she was asked, what was the most important factor? What went in to implementing the change that you did? And without hesitation, she said, I went on a listening tour. She went around and she went to the different restaurants and, and she, she talked with the employees and she said, what are your frustrations? What are your struggles? What's working well? She went and she listened to, to customers and heard them share what they loved about Popeyes and, and what, what, what they would like to see and what they thought was going wrong, and she listened. This is a big idea. Let me give you an example. A few years ago, there was a, a survey done of people who identified themselves as having no religion. They're called the nuns, okay? N-O-N-E-S, the nuns. They have no religion. These were people who were 18 to 34 years old, who lived in the United States, and who claimed to have no religion. And the question was asked to them, how interested would you be in hanging out with a church pastor or a church staff member? And their response, 84% of them 
84% of unchurched 18 to 34-year-olds are not interested in hanging out with a pastor or staff member. 84%. If they're not interested in even hanging out with us, how are we going to share the good news with Jesus, of Jesus with them? But in spite of this, there is, I believe, a glimmer of hope. There's something that happened out of this survey, out of this listening tour. The question was asked, what, if anything, do you like or would you like about church? And the overwhelming response from these unchurched 18 to 34-year-olds was community. Community. In fact, there was one verbatim comment in the survey that stood out to me. It was this. I would be more likely to attend church if I could find a community I could relate to. I would be more likely to attend church if I could find a community I could relate to. Listen, church, we don't have to compromise our beliefs. We don't have to water down our values. We just need to be available. We need to listen. We need to let people know that we are for them. The church is here for them. Do you realize that every Sunday is someone's first Sunday? They are our guests. That's why our first impressions ministry is so important. That every Sunday somebody is coming in and they're stepping through the doors for, for the very first time. And we have to let them know that they are valued, that they are cared for, that Jesus loves them. We want them to know who we know. We want them to know Jesus. The second way we say yes is we say yes in a common unifying language. We say yes in a common unifying language. We'll go back to Acts 17, verse 22. Paul then stood up in the meeting of the Areopagus and he said, People of Athens, I see that in every way you are very religious. For as I walked around and looked carefully at your objects of worship, I even found an altar with this inscription, to an unknown God. So Paul goes in, do you understand what he's doing here? He creates common ground by speaking to them in a way that they can understand, but by relating with them. There needs to be a common language that runs throughout our church from preschool to adult ministry that communicates a purpose that can be understood by both those inside and outside the church. And this is why we're launching four. This builds a common language and a common bond as we shared last week. So here's the challenge for you this week. On your way out today, we want you to grab a bag of cookie mix out in the lobby as you leave church today. A bag of cookie mix. And some of you are thinking, sweet, I know what we're having for dessert tonight. No, not so fast. The cookie mix isn't for you. We want you this week to bake cookies and give them to a neighbor Someone in your community, we don't want you to bake cookies for the person sitting next to you. That's not the purpose of this exercise. We want you to bake cookies for a person who has said no to church, for a person who said no to Jesus. Now, if you're thinking, well, I don't know anybody that's said no to Jesus. Well, this is a great opportunity for you to get to know some people. You might be thinking, well, I know all my neighbors, and all my neighbors already know Jesus. They're already Christians. Or I live out in the country. My closest neighbor lives a half mile down the road. Okay, I get it. I understand. But is there somebody that you work with that you could take these cookies to? 
Is there somebody you know who, who used to be a part of the church, but, but, but they've, they've, they're, no, they're not anymore? Somebody that, that, that you could reconnect with and, and, and show them love and show them support? Don't put blinders on. Get creative. Think outside the box. I want you to remember, Coca-Cola is still trying to reach more people. Amazon is still trying to reach more people. Starbucks is still trying to reach more people. And so are we. We have something that that Starbucks doesn't have. We have something that Amazon doesn't have. We have something that Coca-Cola doesn't have. We have the greatest story ever told. We have the story of a God who loved his people so much that even though the world and our lives were marred by sin, he went on a rescue mission, a redeeming mission of love to reunite us with him. He sent his son Jesus to the earth to live a sinless life. And though he did nothing deserving it, he went to the cross and he gave up his life for you and me. And he purchased the forgiveness of our sins on that cross. And three days later, he rose from the dead so that we too who believe in him might have eternal life. And he ascended to the Father and he's making all things new. I'm sorry, Coca-Cola cannot touch that story. It's the greatest story ever told. And we want to say yes to those who've said no to Jesus. We want to say yes to those who have said no to the church and to what we believe. And I'm telling you, something very powerful happens when those who've said no to church realize that the church has still said yes to them. God has blessed our church with extraordinary potential. There are more people to reach. And we are going to say yes to them by showing them that we are for them. And the best news of all is that God is for them too. Let's pray together. God, your mission is to seek and save the lost. And God, I pray that we would realize today crystal clear that you have invited us to be a part of that mission. God, I pray that, that we, would, we would take the initiative that you would stir in our hearts to say yes to people who have said no. That we would live lives of purpose, we would live lives of intentionality, that we would, we would escape this insider thinking, but that we would live on mission, that we would be a part of something that's so much bigger than us, that we would be a part of your plan of redeeming and reconciling all things, all people to you. So God, help us to say yes to those who have said no. Help us to have a heart for people, a heart for our community. Because we want them to know what we know. We want them to know Jesus. And God, I wanna pray if there is somebody here today who does not know who Jesus is or has not experienced the salvation that comes in Christ alone, I pray that today would be that day for them. That they would say, I am ready to follow Jesus. I understand what he's done in my life. I understand what he's come to do. And I wanna put my faith and trust in Jesus. I'm ready to give my life to him. I'm ready to, to be baptized into Christ. I wanna be new, I wanna be a new creation. God, help us to be for others because you are for them. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.